Hello everybody and welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders and entrepreneurs in the hospitality industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out. The kind that both employees and customers love and support. This is our second episode with Carl Jones, the owner and managing director of Moshimo, the award-winning and sustainable restaurant in the heart of Brighton. The first episode, we hear all about Carl's story and background in hospitality, what Moshimo is all about, sustainable sourcing, and all about their work with Fish Loves. In this episode, we will hear Carl's thoughts on delivery, his view on tech's role in hospitality, and some great advice for people starting out in the industry. So grab that coffee and tune in. The thing is, Michael, it's, it's care. It's just care. People have to start. Again, you know, we're not militant. I, I can't, I'm never going to find myself saying to people, you must demand this from your supermarket or you must demand that from your supermarket. But people are going to have to ask questions. They're really going to have to ask questions. You can buy, you know, you can buy salmon for three pounds a kilo if you're prepared to sell something that's not sustainable, not correctly uh, sourced. You know, you, you've got countries who have fish farms. And for me, I'm, a, you know, I'm an advocate of fish farming, a, a fish farm that is run well and done well and taken care of. And some of the Scottish locks are incredible. The, the care, the Norwegians, the care. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible what they're doing. But if you have a, a country that has fish farms... And they don't even allow their own indigenous population to eat those fish because of the fear of what the fish might do to the population. And these are countries that are not known for taking care (laughs) of their indigenous population at all. Then you have to start to wonder. And that those fish are sold in our supermarkets. You know, they're exported into the UK and uh, and sold so I, I think it's always going to be about overfishing it's not about fishing it's not about you know if you if you left some areas alone for two years it's incredible how quickly it regenerates um, it's it's the raping it's the overfishing on such a scale that is mind-boggling and every single time i give a lecture or talk to anyone and i explain the scale People just can't, you know, they can't believe that you can see the weights on these fishing nets. You can see them by satellite. You can see the crisscrossing on the seabed these weights have made. You know, they just destroy everything in their wake. And they're they're so big because the nets are so big. You know, if you've got a net that's bigger than a football pitch, it's just incredible. So, So, sadly... I can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. So we're we're always going to we're always going to be trying new things. We're always going to do new things. We're always going to listen to what our our customers want. We try to stay in that balance. You know, we we have vegans who come to eat who like. Oh, I didn't know you'd be selling fish on the same day. Well, we're not a vegan restaurant. We offer vegan options and we offer vegetarian op- options. So you know we. We're about balance, and I, and I think going forward, everyone should be looking at it for that. It's about balance, otherwise we're screwed. We're really screwed. If you ask me anything about climate change, I have no idea. I have really no idea. I don't know where I sit on the fence, off the fence, or, or anything, but um, 
with this whole scenario with fish. I think it's probably all connected. Isn't it? it is all connected. You know, I'm trying to concentrate in one area, <laughs> yeah, and stay focused on that. But it is all connected. And you know, I, I've met incredible people who are working on everything. And I just think, you know, I couldn't be inside your head and sleep at night. I just couldn't. And um, and, and I think people who can drive those connections and, and, you know, I take my hat off to them. I think they're incredible, absolutely incredible to be driven in that way. I think it's incredible. So it's really interesting, the conversation we are, we are having now here is also that I think there's going to be a very big change in the industry of, you know, brands or restaurateurs where they actually go out and take action on specific areas. It can be, you know, the ocean, it could be the environment, yeah. you said, it could be on, you know, homelessness, because you have such a big impact while you can educate. You can educate people three times a day, yeah. you know, serve them a meal. Yeah. And especially around food, how you eat and what you put on your plate is, is going to be more and more concerning. It's that there just came a report out. Um, I read uh, in, in the newspaper yesterday about you know if we go up about two degrees more, it was one and a half degrees more in average temperature and the climate, we're in serious problems. Yeah. Like we're talking hunger games yeah, yeah. Uh, conditions. Um, and, and that's quite scary. And, and I think restaurants, there's so many, many restaurants out there where you have the option to make a, a, a choice. Yeah. inside your own business yeah. and go and tell that story like you guys have done so the, the hat off for that and I think that's I think it's the way forward for, for, for industry because I don't as you say the margins are already very tight so you can't you said you can't save yourself to success I call it squeeze the lemon yeah exactly yeah and we are breaking point which, which lead me to um, be interesting to hear your view of where you see the industry is uh, a lot of people talk about the perfect storm with rising costs and competitiveness and you know economic uncertainty and now we, we just talked about a totally different thing you know the, the change of the climate and yeah. the food very hot summer we had as well with we can see now some of the people I'm working with they are getting smaller vegetables yeah. and, and worse quality because of a hot summer in the UK well, this is the strange thing because um, literally this morning um, I was talking to a wholesaler who specialised in buying from small farms you know two acres three acres four acre farms and one of those farms um, she grows the most incredible I mean you wouldn't think it but the most incredible King Edward potatoes absolutely incredible and she normally um, farms enough per year uh, you know to keep in gas storage I think six to nine months to, to supply uh, you know her wholesalers and um, because of this year's summer she can only do four weeks so I mean you're literally talking about seven weeks to uh, seven months to eight months of her uh, purchase window selling window it's just gone you know it's literally gone just because we had that hot summer here and it's nothing to do with you know could she have done because these are the questions I asked um, it's nothing to do like could she have done more in irrigation or any of that it's just the ground is too baked it's too hot for a potato to to spread and grow you know it's got to be able to push its way through a, a good moist soil and, and so on and so forth now those stories are coming out more and more and more there's always a flip side you know a great summer in Europe meant the price of peppers are going to drop, the price of aubergines are going to drop, you know, all of those um, vine fruit veggies, uh, the price is going to drop because it was a great summer and, and they craved the sun to grow, those sort of things. But I think our high street has already been affected recently by some of the things that have happened with these chains. 
Um, you know England is so different from the rest of Europe that from how we've screwed up retail, you know, we've got these high streets with dead areas with boarded up shops and boarded up supermarkets and boarded up chains, you know, it's, we've just really, really messed it up. You see it in some little city enclaves in, in Europe, but you don't see it on the scale that we're seeing it here. And a lot of it is because everyone did this whole, not even make hay, it was, you know, let's make money and not worry about how those demographics are going to be affected. You you can pick five chains, uh, you know, those five chains are there day in, day out, that will have one of their restaurants in every high street next door to each other. They've probably really lobbied to fix the rent, fix the rate, you know, the, the, they'll operate looking at a, you know, a return in under three years on, on cost and so on and so forth. And then... It's exactly the same as anyone independent in that road, except, of course, they have the juggernaut of who they are to push it through the rest of the year. Now, people don't understand. If you go in somewhere to order a pizza and you're going to get a free ice cream, this is your offer, that free ice cream hasn't been purchased by the restaurant. That free ice cream has come along because the restaurant has pressurised their supplier to give them something for free. Um, you know, some of the big drink companies at the moment, they are pushing, uh, it doesn't matter about saying the brand, you know, if you go anywhere now, I've just literally come back from Europe, you go anywhere, nobody drinks Diet Coke anymore. No one drinks Coke anymore. Everyone drinks Zero. Now, England is very strange in the fact that they cannot make the British change over to Coke Zero. They just won't go for it. So restaurants have been saturated with cases and cases and cases of free Coke Zero. I mean, they're being used as giveaways because they're trying to push. Well, you know, if you see a deal that says salad, pizza and a soft drink, uh, you know, for nine ninety five, what they're doing is the Coke Zero didn't cost them anything. They've probably enticed their wholesaler with the salad. Um, so you're getting the pizza for the price that you normally pay for it anyway, and you're getting these two free editions. But they can do that on the scale that they uh, are pushing. But you can't do that if you're an independent pizza restaurant in that same road, on that same high street. That is already struggling um, by what's happened with these chains. But I think the good thing is, uh, you know, maybe not so good for the people who are employed by them, but the good thing is in this last few months we've seen this kickback that's happening with these chains and I think that is going to change the high street profile I think that is going to change the restaurant industry I think it's going to change in a massive way um, the workforce you know people are already moving away from working in our industry and hopefully this might be something that will actually bring them back because you know they've been bleached and wrung out and, and left to dry um, because you could be on a you know you could be on a regular week of forty hours a week, and then someone tells you, "Oh, we're quiet now. We're seasonal. You're down to 20. How do you survive? You know, and they have no fight back. They could have been working in some of these restaurants for four or five years, and then suddenly told, "You're actually taking a pay cut, and you're not getting any service charge, and you're not going to get the hours." So, I think people leaving our industry in their droves has been a really bad thing. 
Um, but I think with the rise of the independence, I, I think it will make people come back because they're more, you do now get people coming through who want to learn the business, the service industry. You know, we don't have colleges for it like Europe. We don't see it in this country as a career. It's an amazing career, but we don't teach anyone to do it. You know, so anyone you get, you've got to teach them unless they've been at it for a long time, um, which is a problem because of the chains. They, they want people who can come in, stand at the table, write down an order and go away and ring it through the till. So they're teaching people to be cashiers. They're not teaching them to be service industry staff. So they're de-skilling the work. Oh, completely. Completely. Because I come originally from Denmark where there is an education behind and specialized in hospitality, even yeah. at manager level, even at university yeah. level. And I, I can see the difference uh, sometimes because when you present, for example could be a P&L analysis, yeah. which you need to understand yeah. the numbers. People don't know how to do it. have no they idea. They have a machine that, that, that put out a number and then it's either red or green. Are there bonus or no bonus? Well, the clever thing that the groups do is they actually give you a spreadsheet P&L that's already filled in. Um, you fill in the numbers they're asking you to achieve and that gives you the bottom line that they're demanding. And this is why... Having no skill, putting no skill, makes life so much easier for them, because you know they are the they're the buffer to the shareholder. The shareholder is king, always. Uh, they're making sure that those dividends are paid out, because without the dividends, there's no investment for future openings. And this is where it's all gone wrong, because you know that you've got companies now who are sitting on restaurant chains that are worth nothing. They've got maybe 40% of the chain is driving the sales. The other 60% is being supported by that 40%. You know, operations managers used to look after 12 sites. They're now looking after 48 sites and 50. Um, you'd have an operations manager conference. There'd be that many in some of the big pub groups. You know, there'd be that many operations managers. You'd have to have them all at conference. You know, they ran four sites or five sites and delivered it's exactly the same scenario as removing the workforce from the floor if you've got to take care of 35 sites all you're going to do is drive figures you probably spend all day in the car crunching those numbers in to make your work masters happy but it works in the same scenario if we've got no skill in our industry if we don't train our people if we don't teach our people not everyone is a chef you know, everyone watches these chef programs and think, oh, I'm going to go off and be a chef and I'll be on TV and I will do this and everything else. Some people don't start as a chef. Some people just want to be a good waiter and earn decent money. Um, and if you spend no time in teaching them or giving them any skills, it's, it's crazy. And of course, you know, we, we've spent this last 10 years with... I'm not anti-anything about... Um, people moving around the world but we've we've spent 10 years almost not hiring english people um, which in one way has been great for us because you know we've we've been able to find people with great skills in the service industry people who grew up um, serving customers and taking care of customers um, but of course now that's changing so whereas i never had anyone english coming to asking for a job i'm now seeing that number I'm seeing that number rise. So I'm, I'm not quite sure what's happening with the workforce, but suddenly the English are out there looking for jobs. Um, I don't know where they've lost their jobs, but they're out there looking for jobs. And we are going to see that difference. Um, we already see now when we 
advertise a job. Um, and you, it's quite funny because you can map the economic uh, climate across Europe. So, you know, when Italy was really suffering, every application we had was from an Italian, and the same with the Spanish and so on and so forth. Um, so in that sense, it's quite funny because we do get these snapshots of, of, of everything that's happening in the world. Really. Yeah. It's not just what's happening on our front door. And there's always the industry that is hit first to get with construction. That's, that's been my experience. That, you know, Although I, I always think England's a little bit different. The English are funny. They will continue always to find their money for drink and entertainment mm -hmm. and food and entertainment. And they s tend to make their savings elsewhere. The Italians, for example, when the climate's bad, all the entertainment goes back to in the home. When the climate's good, they're out in the restaurants. But, you know, it goes back to, yes, come round to ours, we'll have a bowl of pasta and a few bottles of wine. And, you know, they're more about the company and enjoying the company. The UK tends to be... And, you know, entertaining at home now is almost as costly as entertaining outside. Uh, this is why the drink industry have buggered themselves up. You know, if you can pay the same for lagers, you can pay for water in a supermarket. Of course, people are not going to spend, you know, as soon as beer reach the point of being five pounds a pint. I mean, that's just incredible. Five pounds a pint. With that five pounds, you can buy six cans of lager in a supermarket. You know, you're paying for four and you get two for free. So, of course, people are not going out to do that kind of entertaining. They're doing that at home pre a night out, you know, all this pre-drinking that goes on. And I think that was a huge mistake on the part of the drinks industry. They should never ever you know for whatever reasons in Iceland the supermarkets are, are locked for alcohol at certain yeah. times of the day you know here it's nine o'clock in the morning and you can just go and, and buy beer at cheaper than water cheaper than yeah. bread cheaper than milk and that's been a massive mistake and it's affected the industry in a, in a huge way but you know as an industry we're not very inward facing and it takes a I, I think What's happening now with the big chains? I think this is when they've started to think, oh shit, right. Maybe we shouldn't have bought a, a vodka brand and maybe we shouldn't have bought a, a lager brand and forced it on our outlets. So, so are you like positive with with the future of the industry and see there is, there is options out there, but there needs to be a change. That's what you're saying as well. There's going to be a, a radical shift now and you say there's already happening for... For many, many of the big ones, and everybody had read in the news what's going on. Listen, everyone who owns a restaurant, if their restaurant is successful, they'd, they'd love to own two or three. You know, it, I'd like to have another Moshi somewhere, but we couldn't replicate what we do. You know, we, we're in a great situation in Brighton with how we're set up. I couldn't do that in Bournemouth or in another town. I think what's going to happen now is, I believe, people will come into our industry without looking for the obvious make it rich, make it a brand, make it a chain. How can I get up to six outlets so I can sell my brand? I think that's going to stop. And I think that is fantastic. I really do. Some restaurants, it's fantastic having another one or two sites because you learn stuff from the sites you're in that maybe you can't change the operation of. You know, I could open a really successful vegan restaurant tomorrow, easily. You know, because we've learned from our work with vegan food and restorative eating. But I think what's going to happen is the brands 
are going to realise very quick, and uh, and I think they are realising now that they're going to have to either rebrand half of their chains or a quarter of their chains. Rebrand it with what? I don't know. I think it has to be again outlook looking at sustainable food. You know, it's taken so long for the UK to realise that a plant-based diet is massive in the rest of the world. It's on the rise like nothing that's ever been seen before. I mean, it's just incredible. And again, kept out by the UK chains and kept out by the UK brands. You know, the biggest brand in the UK at the moment has just put four vegan options on their Asian menu. And they want the world to turn upside down and applaud them for that. It's like, what are you doing? You're so behind, so behind. And I think until someone gets in with those groups and in with those chains and starts to say, okay, you know, your high streets are going to die. They literally will die. If you've pushed out all the retail and filled it up with a food outlet, unless someone goes in that food outlet, it's just going to die. Look what the outcry used to be about pound shops. Pound shops have gone under. That's it, they've gone. They went under. Why didn't they become £1.50 shops? Why did they stay as pound shops? I mean, I don't understand that. So, you know, we see economies change everywhere. Why didn't they just become a £1.25 shop or a £1.50 shop or a £2 shop? You know, they could have kept some of those high streets open. They are massive sites, most of them. They're sites that you could only put a store in. You know, you couldn't put a shoe shop in. You'd have to put a store or, or something with a concession of stores. So it's, it's, it's strange how this is... I think, personally, towns like Brighton are going to be survivors. We survived through the last recession. We bucked the trend. We bucked the trend on Brexit. We bucked, we, oh, Brighton always bucks the trend on everything. I think there's a lot of success internally in this city. I think, it'd be re- I think it's really important that other cities look at how we do... We're not perfect, but how we do some of our stuff how we work our retail. Why do we have so many independents? We're not a, you know, it's not like Brighton's been injected with a different serum, you know. We're the same people, but we appreciate the independents and we appreciate the independent retailing. It works fantastic. And people, you know, they bolster and they push their shoulders to the wheel to make them successes. And I think that's incredible. And I think, you know, some big CEOs and some op directors could do, you know, they couldn't do themselves any harm to come to a city like Brighton and, and understand why every better passive is not full. There is a reason, you know, it's a, it's an absolute reason and they need to look at that. And that, I, I think in that way, yeah, I, I think food retail, I don't believe it will survive, not on that scale. I think it needs to change, and I think they are changing, but it's, it's taking time. It's taking a lot of time. Anyone who had the ambition to have 300 restaurants in a chain, you've got to really sit back and rethink that now. You know, it's just... And I agree with you. I think that's actually happening as we speak. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, concerns around, especially with people have built very big estates or on, and have brands that's not performing because suddenly also the consumer is starting asking questions about sustainability, you know, how do you treat your staff and, yeah. and all these things. And what about delivery? The many people say that delivery is one of the, you know, buying food to home, like Deliveroo is calm, you know, Uber Eats. Is that, is that a next big thing for, for it restaurants? It changed the face of 
of Brighton. It changed the face of eating out. I think probably over the years, it's like four or five sort of semi-restaurant delivery systems of, of chance it in Brighton. It didn't work. You know, it just didn't work. They couldn't get organised. They didn't have enough... Uh, riders or, or, or people in charge. There was no proper system, you know. You, as a consumer, you had to call the restaurant and then say, such and such a delivery company was going to pick it up. And some companies they paid for it on uh, on purchase point, and some companies they wanted to be paid over the phone. It was just a mess. Not everyone is, but I'm a huge fan of Deliveroo. I, I think Deliveroo is incredible. I see where they're going in the future. You know, I've. I've said from the very beginning, why would anyone build up such a, a network without there being an end goal? When they first came into Brighton, everyone was like, oh my God, what, we're, we're going to pay a commission for someone to deliver our food? And for me, from the beginning, it's like, well, you're paying a commission on income you never had. And you'll have no overheads, just the commission. You know, what, what are you talking about? You, it's not... You're not involving anyone with uh, table service. You're not involving anyone with, uh, uh, you know, uh, an allocation of covers or anything else. You know, it's it's takeaway. It's delivery. So I was, I was very happy. It's been very successful for us. So it's worked really well for you. Oh, incredible! Uh, uh, we, uh, you know, Brighton. We have Bra, the Brighton Restaurant Association. We're all independent restaurants. I, I think probably eighty percent of us um, use Deliveroo. We all sit there with our sour lips and, oh my God, the commission charge. But it, we'd never get rid of them, you know. We've got an outlet in Hove, in what they, um, what the press love, love to call their uh, dark ops, their, their black kitchens or whatever, which is... A dark kitchen. I think. Dark kitchens, which is really bizarre. And it's quite funny because, you know, a lot of Brighton councillors were talking about that and they went to visit it and they were blown away because, you know, every restaurant has their own kitchen but it's under one roof so and it just means that you can expand the delivery area and the delivery zone so i think the fantastic thing about it and this is what people don't get if there are enough restaurants delivering it means your your golden loyalty customer can order your food and eat your food at home without having to come out which doesn't sway them from spending their money with you. They're spending their money with you. They just haven't come in on site. So are you losing a cover? Are you losing a customer? Are you losing any money by that? For me, no. You know, the, the costs outweigh the outlays. It's the same thing. So I think it's great being able to offer that to your customer, you know, we normally go in here on Thursdays. We won't be able to go this Thursday. We haven't got a babysitter. Mm. And if they phone up, we get so many people who, you know, give us a call and say, I've just ordered from Deliveroo. Can you cancel our booking? You know, it's raining. It's horrible. We've got flu. The kids are sick, whatever. For me, it's it's ideal. But it's got to be done well. So that's, a that's a balance, as you said, as well. Because I've met operators where suddenly... 70% of their revenue is taken up by a third-party delivery platform, which is not good. Okay, yeah, we haven't had that, mm. no, yeah. We, we've yeah, we've been quite balanced with that. We've but especially takeaway businesses and so on. I think, I think I directly agree there's, there's, there's a use for <laughs> yeah. sit-down restaurants, and if it's done well, yeah. it has to be done well, yeah. of course. What about technology? 
a lot of people talk about the <coughs> savior to the industry technology is gonna but again it's like what works for you you know i i personally i hate you know i'm very typical in that i hate change with till systems and and operations and order systems i, I hate change if i get something that i like um and my team know that i'm with a sledgehammer making it fit what I like without thinking about them at all. Listen, you know, over the years, how many things have come out that are supposed to save our lives? And if you know how to write a P&L by hand, that's where you have to start first. If you know how to write an order by hand, it's also where you have to start first. I mean, we're all cursed with these amazing till systems that run on Wi-Fi and Bluetooth you only need to lose signal for a minute and your printers are down and your, your tills are jammed and everything else. None of them are foolproof. They're, you know, they're all affected by your surroundings. If you can do it the old-fashioned way first and then just get the system to do for you what result you want from it, you know, that's it. I never saturate. I know what our p looks like and I know what our figures look like and I know what our purchase costs are and our wage costs and everything else. I like to think, uh, I want my key staff to know what those figures are weekly. There's no point, you know, monthly and quarterly, you're too late. If you're, if you're looking at something you quarterly, react, you're screwed. Yeah, you can't do anything. So I like them to know. And I don't use any of our technology to, to club anybody. Uh, the only thing I say every week is about wage percentage. That's it. You've got this percentage. If you use this percentage, it's high, but it doesn't kill the business. Don't go over it. And if you do go over it, you know, have a really good valid reason for it. Um, I do like a good payroll system that tells you every day what your wage percentage is. I do like that. And, um, and you know, it's, people forget on a, on a day where income is less, you can immediately correct that in the rotoring system you can do stuff that doesn't affect your employees lives and doesn't affect the customer's life you can just be careful with stuff you know sometimes giving everyone a three-hour lunch break rather than a one or a two they're like oh thank god yeah i can go to the supermarket i can do a bit of shopping i can do this you know three hours and three hours and three hours is nine hours nine hours might be all you needed to you know to save on your rotor for that day so sometimes your rotor system can't tell you all of that it just you know you need to have the understanding you need to be hands-on you need to and you know going back to our very first conversation when i was saying about when i was in operations how saturated it was with those people there should be a trend in the in the entire i'm a big believer i'm hands-on i'm there every day and I'm a big believer. It's actually, it's funny. On Monday night, someone saw me serving tables who I know from another area of my, of my life. And they see me doing, you know, I'm involved with a lot of things. And they said, oh my God, we never knew you actually served the food yourself. And what did you think that I'm sat in some glass office somewhere, like just telling people, um, but and I and I think there is a huge need because if you're a graduate who's worked as an area manager, 
and you've worked your way to an operations manager and you've got 30 sites or 40 sites, the only thing you know about your sites is what you see when you walk in the door, give that manager 20 minutes of your allotted time and then you're back on the motorway to the next site. I think it's really important that people actually do go back to the floor and and work and learn and and get an understanding of you know issues there's a lot of women leaving our industry and it's because of childcare you know you used to have really great solid team members who were fantastic with customers and knew all the customers names and people adored them and you know whatever they'd have babies and they'd come back to work because they either had a great support system or nursery schools were free and now of course and they're even trying to get rid of childcare vouchers you know I've got chefs who are on childcare vouchers and they're literally trying to squeeze the life out of those as well and it it only gives them 300 or so pounds a month it doesn't give them anything else and it'd be great if some of the people in charge went back to the floor and thought okay so what is it like running round all day with this quattro formaggi pizza what, what you know what are we getting with our people what's happening with our customers i don't think that happens enough i had a conversation yesterday with the people where where they came up why things didn't work out in the front line and my question was when was the last time you spent more than an hour in the front line with the yeah. same people yeah and uh, it was a long time ago they couldn't remember yeah. and it's because there becomes this disconnect between the front line or head office or you know your front line your service people that you really don't understand the problems they yeah. are in you think you're giving them the tools and the resources and you're not they, they, they absolutely maybe hate their job, but you really don't understand why they hate it. And it could be a thing like the child bars. Yeah. It's a very simple thing. I'll just make work work. Don't give them tablets that don't work. And I think there's also something about coming back to, so I grew up in a, with my mom and dad's restaurants where everything, you know, you had to know how to do it on a calculator and understand yeah. things. Yeah. I think we need to go back and train some of those skills so we actually can have, you know, know what we're doing know yeah. our cost on a weekly basis yeah. I meet people all the time so what is going to happen today if sales going to be that today what's that going to mean for the week Yeah, they should know that just on you know yeah. take their calculator and do that or have some kind of system on a prime cost that's yeah. why it goes wrong labour goes up food cost goes up nobody looks after them. then the month is gone we need to save next month and the squeeze starts so yeah. totally agree with you there's, there's a skill there in the end of our podcast, we always ask the, the guest if there's one advice they can give to people that either are you know, in the industry, but maybe also more wants to launch into the industry, either have their own restaurants or working in the industry. What would that advice be from all your years of experience? I think if you're going to launch into the industry, be sure about your product, whatever it is, whether it's, you know... Uh, a battered sausage or these amazing gold-plated ducks that you spend £300 for in London. You know, whatever is your product, you've got to know your product, understand your product, have faith in your product, not think your product is... Well, not think it's risk-averse, but understand the risks with your product. And the other thing is that you cannot... You just can never believe you're going to be hands-off don't ever try and think you're going to be hands off. Don't ever try and think you're going to get, you know, midweek off or weekends off. Or If you're passionate about what you're doing and you believe what you're doing, this industry is just will never be 9 to 5. It can't be 9 to 5. And you have to be prepared for that. The worst people 
who screw up in our industry are the people who think owning their own place suddenly makes them able to tell someone, get out. And that's the worst mistake. Because that one time that they say to someone, get out, or that one time they're rude to a customer at the door, then affects everything else they do. Because then they become rude to the staff, and rude to the suppliers, and rude to their bank manager, and rude to their, you know, this whole thing about, oh, I've worked this life of drudgery for years, and now I'm going to be the other side of that coin. If you have that outlook, it doesn't work. And that's what my fear always is about independence that open up in good towns like Brighton. It's like, oh, I hope this person is someone who can sustain this business and run it well. Because it does, it affects every, you know, if you've got 10 restaurants of independence and two of them are, are screw ups, as I call them, and the other eight get affected. You know, everyone wants the footfall coming towards them. You know, if it's busy here tonight, you go in there. But if you know that area is offering a great food offering, all the better. But a couple of crazies in there, and that's it. Your you know, basil faulties. It's not good. Well, that was two advice, but are two good, very good okay. advice. <laughs> They're entwined. <laughs> <laughs> they are entwined. Yeah. So, thank you very much, Carl, for coming here today and uh, and, and sharing your your story and uh, telling a bit about your city, the industry, and we also you. got got around uh, the environment or the ocean. You're not for the environment, you're for the ocean. So, yeah, really appreciate that. And I'm sure that there's going to be more to come in the future. Thanks Other so conversation to have here. So, yeah, thank you once again. And uh, looking forward to coming down and having some food very soon with you as well. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's all we have time for today. Thank you, Carl, for once again sharing great insights and stories about the industry. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, or even better, Tell us what you think. Is technology part of your strategy to ensure a profitable future? Do you, like Carl, also think that we have an obligation to make impact on things outside our businesses? To make an impact that's just more than profit? We hope you have enjoyed today's podcast with me, Michael Tingser. Tune in very soon for more industry insights. In the meantime, learn more about us at hospitalitymavericks.com. And thanks for listening, and be maverick.